begin with just a quick review, and I'm aware that you know some of you have been here for probably every sermon on this subject, some maybe for the first time, and so just to remind you of some terminology that's very important, we see in the English New Testament uh, a word that's very important, the word love, L-O-V-E, but if we go into the original language, we see that there are different words with different meanings that are translated into our English word love. And you need to then go back into uh, using a dictionary, a concordance. There's, I mean, you can do it from a smartphone. You know, I mean, it's, it, it used to be, you know, you had to have the right volumes of, of material and resources to do this. But now uh, you can do it for free on a smartphone, praise God. Um, and see what these original words were and what they meant. And once you get to that original meaning, you see that, um, you know, the, the, the verse may not mean what you have thought your whole life that it meant. Brother Jesse Duplantis, uh, his partner sermon for last month, was talking about, um, you know, the, the time in which Jesus came to this earth. And the Bible says that when the fullness of time had come, and that means there was a, a time appointed um, by the Trinity, by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, when Jesus would come to this earth. And there are all kinds of theories as to why Jesus came exactly when he came. But one of the things that Brother Duplantis pointed out, and, and, and I agree completely with him, is that the Lord was waiting until there was this thing called the Greek language, because the Greek language, as far as uh, means of communicating, is perhaps one of the uh, absolute best that has ever been developed on planet Earth. And so not to offend our English-speaking uh, uh, company this morning, okay, <laughs> that's all of us, right, is, um, you know, the Greek language is far superior to the English language. So if you've ever heard the expression lost in translation, unfortunately, going from Greek to English, there are lots of things that are lost in translation. That's why the Bible says to you and me, study to reveal the God's approval upon your life. So studying is an important thing. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of God's kings, God's people, to search out a matter. So just to use this verse as our standard example, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, if you go with the common understanding of, of what love means, you'll think that Jesus is trying to make some kind of deal with you, um, that he's saying to you, in essence, look, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do something else for you on down the road. This give and take, this, this trade-off type of a relationship or, or mode of, of, of relating to and, and with God. But that is not what he is saying here. And, and I don't know, we may get into that aspect of this a little deeper as we go this morning. But what he's saying here is, if you agape me, keep my commandments. If you agape me, keep my commandments. And the one word that you should think of first when you see this word agape is the word respect. Is the word respect. Jesus is saying, if you respect me. And the idea behind respect is that, is that we have individually and personally um, established in our own hearts and lives um, the respect, the honor um, that, that Jesus deserves from us. And that's based upon the valuation that you have, again, assigned to him. 
Um, what is he worth to you? Um, let me say it another way, and we'll look at this verse in just a moment. But how does he, in light of who he is, what he's done for you, what he's given to you, how does he deserve to be treated in respect to that, in respect to who he is, in respect to what he's done for you, in respect to what he has freely given to you? How, what value do you place upon that? In other words, how important is that to you? Um, how, how much does that mean to you? And in, 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 in regards to what are you willing to invest in going after uh, those things? That, um, that he has given to you and done for you, uh, but even more importantly than that, who he actually is. So the other word for, and I'll put both of them on the screen, the, the, the other word for philo is, the other word for love rather is philo, and this is the one we often think about, warm, fond, affectionate feelings often associated with friendship. Um, but agape is completely different. Agape uh, is not about feelings. It's about respect based upon esteem, based upon evaluation. Now, a common element or phrase in most of our sermons the, the last, I guess, month or so, maybe longer, has been this idea of people who have philo for the Lord but no agape. They have a fond, affectionate place in their heart for the Lord but they do not respect him enough to do what he desires for them to do. But again, the doing part, the serving part, is not about some give and take trade-off. Now, let me uh, kind of fast forward to where we left off on uh, uh, last Sunday. We, we said that, that worship is your proper response to God based upon who he is and who you are in respect to him. Okay, this is worship. Worship is not just bragging about God, praising our Heavenly Father, his greatness, his power, his, his wisdom. We can sing about that all day from a fond, affectionate place in our heart for him. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, that, <laughs> that we respect him enough um, to live our lives according to his uh, uh, vast and amazing wisdom. So we often confuse praise and thanksgiving with worship. And you often hear, and we talked extensively about this last Sunday, you often hear praise and worship um, used as if they mean the same thing when they do not. Um, if you praise, you can praise another person by, by talking about how something great that they've done and, and, and how talented and skilled they are. And you can be thankful to another person, okay? But when we talk about worship, this is when you understand the value of that person and, and, and you understand who you are in relationship to them. You see, who I am in, in, in relationship to my wife is not the same as to who I am in relationship to my children. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? In other words, when we use that word relationship or in respect to, we're talking about, and, and by the way, this isn't um, you know, pop culture's estimation of these things. Are you following me? I don't, I don't want to get too like down this road because it's low-hanging fruit and I'm not trying to just you know, get some amens and some agreement or whatever. But, but the, the part in, in, um, in Romans 1 where he talks about even um, the, uh, the sin of homosexuality, if you look at that and, and what it's literally translated, it actually goes much, much deeper than, than a, an act expressed in a sexual way. He's literally saying 
that men no longer knew how to be men and women no longer knew how to be women. And, and we're seeing this in our culture today, not our culture, but the world's culture today. Let me be correcting of that, okay? Where now it's, have you seen this whole debate about um, what it means to be a woman is very, is, is very complicated and you can't just define it. And even, forgive me, Lord, and everybody else. You know, now they're saying like that when my daughter feeds her son that she's not breastfeeding him, that she's parent feeding him or she's chest feeding him because, you know, we don't want to leave the men out who don't have the breasts like the women and this could be considered uh, offensive. No, notice now what... I'm not trying, listen to me, I'm not trying to be uh, a Fox News commentator. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm trying to help you see the spiritual implications on all of this. And, and that what the devil is ultimately trying to do is, for God created male and female. Are you hearing me? He created men and he created women. And men and women aren't the same. Listen to me. Men and women aren't the same. And the differences go much deeper than, than, the, than the physiology, than the physical shape of our bodies, okay? God hardwired men differently than the way he hardwired women. Amen. And, and, and that's why men and women will never look at things exactly the same way. And, and it's by design. It's, and it's not the design is not for God to see how much it will make you fight with one another, okay? And, but, but notice the enemy is trying... I came to this pulpit with three sermons. This was not one of them, okay? But anyway, um, there, there is a, there's a blurring of the line here where we no longer know who we are, right? And we, and we no longer know who we are in relationship to who God is. Worship, let me get back to the point and you'll see how this relates, okay? Worship is your proper response to God based upon who He is and who you are in respect to Him, all right? Now, let me... Um, Praise Jesus. Let me get down here um, to where we need to be. Amen. Um, Romans chapter 1. Let's go here. And I'll, for sake of time, I'm just going to put it up in the message translation. Okay? Um, in the message translation, Romans 1 says this, By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being, so nobody has a good excuse. Let, let me tell you the, the, the one fatal error with every other theory of our origin outside of an intelligent designer, creator, father. Okay? Outside of there is a God who is uh, uh, omnipotent, who created everything physical, as the, as the Word of God says, and that's certainly what I believe. If you don't believe that, amen then that's, uh, amen, just hear me though, please, okay? Here's the fatal error in every other theory of our, of our existence, right? Other than God created us. It's no matter how far you go back into, well, it was a big explosion, okay? Well, where did the stuff that blew up come from? In other words, the fatal error is you're always going to run headlong into something has had to have always existed. There has to have always been something, if that something is nothing more than a vacuum, a vacuum is something. If that something is nothing more than the canvas upon which all of this is painted, that canvas is something. Are you following what I'm saying here? This idea that, that somehow absolutely everything came out of absolutely nothing. Are, 
Are you understand what I'm saying? And this, and this is what he's talking about here. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see, and that's eternal power. Now, let me, let me tell you what, um, and Brother Keith Moore was teaching on this recently, and, I, and it, it is so applicable right here. Let me try to show you how this works, okay? God gives us light. The Bible says Jesus is the light that shines upon every man coming into the world. Every man coming into the world, God offers people light, okay? Now, we have, once he offers us that light, we have a choice to make. What are we going to do with the light that he offers us? Are we going to accept it or are we going to reject it? Because if you reject it, then that means you've chosen the darkness over the light. Now, the light that God may offer to a man, and again, he knows us individually. He will meet you where you are. The light that God may offer to a man, for example, um, a biophysicist who is studying um, microscopic cells, right? And, and in Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, he talks about a gentleman who was a, just a total atheist until he got a, a microscope powerful enough to see how the human body functions at a cellular level. And when he began to see the intricacies and, and, and how cells open and close in response to certain stimuli and all of these things, and they literally look like little machines, and there's trillions and trillions of them in your body. When he began to see that, he began to question um, that it just happened randomly. See, what's happening now? Now, God's given him some light. God's, that light's come to him in the form of a question. Did, did this really just happen randomly? Or is there a designer behind something this complex, something this amazing on such a microscopic level? And he began to open his heart up to the idea that perhaps there is a designer out there somewhere who intelligently designed this. Notice now that he turned to the light. Guess what God gave him a little more of? Somebody say it out loud. He gave him a little more light, and then he gave him a little more light until the next thing you know, he's calling on Jesus to, to be a Savior. Are you, are you seeing how this works, right? So when, we, when, we, when he comes to the end of this verse and he says that God's eternal power is there, even if your physical eyes can't see it, the mystery of his divine being, that there has to be something uh, supernatural to our natural, amen? So nobody, what does he say, has a good excuse, now watch this, verse 21, it's a very important verse. He says, what happened was this, people knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. So the book of Romans, I may be a bit biased, but I believe it is among the greatest literary works of all time. Outside of it being one of the 66 books in the canon of Scripture, it is, um, you could use the book of Romans to teach um, uh, law classes. Uh, it is one of the most brilliant, systematic um, expandings of and making a case for how, how an argument should be, be made and presented and established and and, and what we see in the first two and a half, almost three chapters of the book of Romans is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is laying out um, the problem that Jesus came to fix. And then, of course, beginning with uh, the end of chapter 3 through the end of the book, 
um, he expounds upon in, in great detail the answer that Father God um, has provided for the problem that he reveals to us in chapters 1, 2, and through verse 23 of chapter 3. Are you still with me this morning? And I'm going to sum it up for you, okay, in in real simple way, and you've seen me do this before, all right? If you're, watch, if you're listening and not watching, okay, and we have people who listen, um, I'm holding my left hand up as high almost as I can hold it above my head, and then I'm holding my right hand significantly below it, okay? And so here is, in essence, what uh, chapter 1 and 2 of Romans is saying. God created you to live way up here, and you are living way down here. What happened? How did we go from living here to living down here, okay? Now watch this. Do you know what the world calls this level of life and living right here? Normal. The world calls this normal. The world calls this the best you can hope for. The world calls this, you know, if, if, if you got enough uh, money for the month and, and so forth and so on, then, then, then th- th- this is the absolute, you got the tiger by the tail, my friend, okay? But see, because people have lived on such a lower level than what God created and intended for them to live on for so long, we've now established that as the new baseline. We've now established that as, as, as the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 10 and verse number 10. Uh, au contraire, my fr- mon frère, you hear me, that's not absolutely, inc- that is absolutely incorrect, wrong, 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 okay, on the contrary, by the way, that's French, okay, so that wasn't, it was tongues, but it was a known tongue, amen, all right, so if we're living here, and we're supposed to be living here, what happened, okay, and so that's what he's explaining to us, but then he, exp- he the as we progress from the end of chapter 3 on through Romans, he's telling us how we can go from living way down here to living back up here again. God's answer for us to ultimately live the life that he created us to live, the life that he intended us to live, free from the curse, free from poverty, free from sickness, free from disease, free from the bondage of sin, free from ignorance and confusion, free from the law of sin and death, free from being ruled over by the outside forces of this world. Jesus was not ruled over by the outside forces of this world. He ruled over the outside forces of this world. And as He is, so are we. You, my friend, are supposed to be ruling over the outside forces of this world. We could talk a lot about what looks like here and what it looks like down here, but amen. So, what had happened was, he's telling us right here what happened. He's telling us how we went from living the life God created us to live to living on a level far beneath that and calling it normal. He says people knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat Him like God... Let me tell you one of the most important questions you can ever answer in your life is how does God deserve to be treated? How does He deserve to be treated? Here's here's another question. You should start asking yourself this on a regular basis. Am I treating God like He deserves to be treated right now? Am I giving him the place in my life that he deserves? Now see, what what you may not be connecting with all this is this is worship. This is what worship is. Worship is treating God like he deserves to be worshipped. Notice now, he says, refusing to worship him. 
Now, what is worship? Worship, once again, is your proper response to God based upon who He is and who you are in respect to Him. So notice what happens when when we do not treat God like He deserves to be treated and we refuse to worship Him, we refuse to properly respond to Him based upon who He is and who we are in respect to Him, what happens to our lives? We trivialize ourselves. God didn't trivialize humanity. And we want to say the devil did it, but the devil didn't trivialize humanity. Humanity trivialized itself. Amen. For the record, this is what trivialization looks like. Now, to trivialize something, this is a unique word right here. I really, really like this word. I believe, I believe Satan's uh, strategy against you. Matter of fact, all of his strategies against us involve trivializing us. Now, if something is trivialized, what does that mean if you trivialize something? To trivialize it means to make it out to be unimportant. If something is trivial, it has little to no impact. It's insignificant. It, it, it makes no difference. It's trivial. We can take it or we can leave it, right? And notice how the devil has tried so hard to get us, deceive us, trick us into trivializing ourselves because as long as we see ourselves as a non-factor in what goes on in the world around us, this gives the devil an open door to work what he desires to see worked in, uh, in, in men's and women's lives here upon this earth. Did I just get too heavy on you? Are you with me? Are you, are you following along? This is very, very important. So I like, to, I like to say it another way, all right? When Adam and Eve launched out on their own, because that's, I mean, we could talk all day about, you know, the ins and outs of the sin that they committed, but what it basically boils down to is they knew exactly what it is that God wanted, uh, you know, for them and from them, but they decided that they were going to do it themselves the way they wanted to do it. They chose their will and their desires over God's will and over God's desires for them. And because of the way he created them and because of the way he created you and me, they had the perfect right and, and, and ability to do that. Okay? So notice, this original sin was Adam and Eve failing to treat God the way he deserved to be treated. They refused to worship him. If they had worshipped him, they would have said, you know what? I want to eat that fruit, but, but God, who is above me, said the day I eat it will die. I don't even know what that looks like, but I respect him enough. I respect him enough to know that he only wants good for me. See, that's how the devil got in. The devil said, no, no, no. If you eat that fruit, it's going to do something for you that following God will not do for you. If, if you'll eat that fruit, if you'll, if you'll do what God told you not to do, it's going to make you a better person. It's going to give you more ability, more control, right? And so we were created to be dependent upon God, not independent from Him. And what they didn't realize is the devil just tricked them into separating themselves from God and making their life up now as they go along. So what happened was this. When we, when we don't worship God, when we lose sight of who He is and who we are in respect to Him, we lose sight of any context that would provide meaning for our lives. We lose context. You see... Of all the things that our Heavenly Father provides for us, the one thing, the one thing, listen to me now, the one thing that we perhaps overlook and don't realize is that without God, our lives have no context. 
And if there's no context, there can be no meaning. And the only meaning then is whatever meaning you can somehow make up for yourself. So for a lot of people, life means the man who dies with the most toys wins. You ever heard that one? What's the meaning of life? Notice that has become one of the great questions of humanity. What is the meaning of life? It sounds, so, it sounds so philosophical. It sounds so stoic, you know. And we come up with all these answers and all this other stuff, right? But here's the thing about it. You will never know the meaning of life until you know the one who gave you life. The one who gave you life gives meaning to your life. Now let me, for those of you who maybe don't understand context, let me, let me just see if I can give it to you real simple like. I'm going to show you what happens when you take something out of the context that it's supposed to exist in, okay? The Bible says... You brace yourself now, you ready? The Bible says there is no God. Do you know that? That's taken out of context. Let me tell you what the Bible really says. The Bible really says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. But if I, de- if I detach there is no God from the fool has said in his heart there is no God, that one statement now out of context has lost its true meaning. When you and I are disconnected from our Father, as far as who He is, who we are in relationship to Him, we have just disconnected ourselves from the context of our lives, which means we will never have a meaningful existence. Listen, the one thing that I have learned over the years from all the different ministry opportunities and and individuals and walks of life that my Heavenly Father has trusted me to servant lead, right, is that people are looking for a meaningful life. They may not be looking for God. Men and women who come to the foundry, men and women who come to heritage, they may not be looking for God. They may not be looking for Jesus and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all this other stuff. But let me tell you what we're all looking for. We're all looking for answers because we're all looking for a meaningful life. We want a life that makes sense. When you refuse to treat God the way He deserves to be treated... And you refuse to worship him, acknowledge who he is and who you are in relationship to him. The one thing more than any other thing that provides context for your life has, has, has just been separated from your life. So now we're vulnerable. Now, now, you know, it's just whatever anybody tells us it's supposed to be. This is why so many people pursue money as a God substitute of choice. In other words, we, we, we were created to, to have acceptance. I don't, I don't have the slide right here in front of me on this one, so just, if I could, just while I'm rolling now, amen. Acceptance, security, identity, significance, and purpose. Every human being on planet Earth, Earth woke up this morning. They may not have had that list, uh, you know, taped to their bathroom mirror, but that's the one, those are the five things that all of us are looking for. We're trying to find them. And, and my friends, you will never find them to the extent that you are looking for and, and, and desire in your life until you find acceptance from our Heavenly Father, until you find security in Him, until you know who you are according to who He created you to be, until you understand your significance and worth and purpose in Him. But when we are separated, detached from the context of our lives, we, try, we don't quit living, we keep living, we just try to find another context. We try to find something else to, that, to make sense of our lives. And this is why so many people gravitate towards money, the God of mammon instead of God. Money is, is humanity's favorite God substitute of choice. 
They try to find acceptance with their money. They try to find security with their money. They try to find identity with their money. They try to find significance with their money. They try to find purpose with their money. And people get gobs and gobs of money and they still have no meaning in life. Do I got the right bunch this morning? You, are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, let me, I'm going to take a little side journey here. The one thing that we have not yet covered in all of this, and, and I debated on whether or not we were going to take the time to do it, but I just really felt like the Holy Spirit has, has led me to do it this morning. So we'll, we'll do this and we'll see where we are as far as time, okay? Let's, let me come back. I'm going to hold, hold that one thought, Amen. I didn't put all these verses in here. Maybe I should have. But, but in the next verse, he talks about pretending to know everything about life when we're actually illiterate concerning it. And then this is where he talks about we don't even know what it's like. To, we don't even know what it means to be a man anymore. We don't even know what it means to be a woman anymore. We, we, we've so trivialized ourselves. And so now, now, load, now notice here trivialize themselves into silliness and confusion. Again, I'm not looking for cheap laughs or cheap amens. I'm trying to help you see the seriousness and the gravity of this. A lot of people take these verses and they try to drag them as a template and say, well, he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Or he's talking about this generation, the days of Noah. And, and we try to make him, we try to make these verses be about one particular people group during one particular period of time of human history on planet earth when the reality of it is these verses have been unfolding again and again over and over and over again ever since they started with Adam and Eve in the garden. Anywhere people push God out of the equation you're going to see these things develop and snowball and mushroom. It takes time. Okay? Sister Betty uh, Faye and I were talking after church a few uh, months ago, and she brought up, you know, how, when they took prayer out of schools. Anybody, anybody remember when every school child in this nation began their day with prayer? I was second grade Miss Aldrich's class when I think they had already ruled on it, but, you know, sometimes in Alabama we just ignore what federal government says about these things, but it finally kind of came down hard and heavy that we could do the pledge and if you didn't want to do the pledge, you could stand outside. That came later. That was like sixth grade, I think, for me. Um, but we couldn't pray. And the administration, it trickled down, finally got to my second grade teacher. She said, um, you know, that, that we couldn't pray anymore in class. You know what Miss Aldrich did? She said, kids, they've told me that I can't lead you in a prayer anymore. And so this is what we're going to do today. I want everybody to get out of your seats and I want you to kneel by your desk. We didn't just pray that morning. We got out of our desk and we knelt. We didn't do that. No, we just sat there and she led us in the prayer, right? But she was like, you think you're going to tell me I can't pray with these kids? We're fixing, to just, we're fixing to get even more serious about it, right? Thank God for Miss Aldridge. I can't wait to see her in heaven one day, all right? Anybody remember what we prayed for? We prayed for our, our nation and its leaders. We prayed for our families. We prayed for our uh, educational system, and we prayed for ourselves. 
Now, it's taken some generations for that, knowing God perfectly well but not treating like God, refusing to worship. It's taken some generations, but it's, it's catching up with us. Look at what's happened to the family. Are you, are you, have I got the right bunch this morning? Look at, what's, look, look at what's happened in our world. Look at what's happened in our government. Look at what's happened in our schools. Parents, if you've got school-aid children, hug them, love them, train them, pray over them, speak the word of God over them. Listen to me, please. You want to get a little inside information as to what's going on in the public schools, talk to my daughter Bethany for a minute. She's there every day. And COVID has not helped the situation. A lot of students went almost a whole year without having very much of anything expected from them, and now they're back in school, and they think they don't have to do anything now. And will threaten her, get in her face even. And tell her, tell her she's, they're not doing it. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus, I'm not trying to harp on these things. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to help you see how all of this is, is connected now. And so now it's like, um, are, am I the only one that's seeing this in our world today? Did you see where the mayor of Birmingham now, is now saying that, that men can go in women's restrooms if they want to? And notice now, this isn't, this isn't presented as, um, watch, see, this is what you've got to realize now. This isn't presented as, um, as, as backwoods, uh, uh, ignoramus, uh, Alabamians. This is, we're now sophisticated like the rest of the world. Look at how mature we are. Look at how advanced we are. Look at how tolerant we are. Look at how understanding we are. Look at how, are you, are you see? Look at how silly and confused you are. I'm sorry, I'm hollering, right? Trivializing it. Just just trivializing it. Sweet Jesus, I gotta finish. All right. Are you okay this morning? Amen. So I'm gonna go ahead and promise myself right now that I'm not gonna beat myself up later for this sermon. Sometimes I'm hard on myself when I preach sermons like this, all right? All right, worship is your proper response to God based upon who He is and who you are in respect to Him. Now, let's, let's get something correct, all right? And then we'll do communion, amen? Until, unless and until, let's say it that way, unless you know and until you know who you are in respect to who God is. You still with me? Unless and until... You know who you are in respect to who God is. You will never know who you are in respect to other people. You'll never know who you are in respect to other things and other situations you find yourself in until you know who you are in respect to who God is. Listen to me now. A lack of understanding in these areas is why people fear things they should never be afraid of. See, you'll never know who you are in respect to who the devil is until you know who you are in respect to who God is. Are you following me now? You'll never see him 
as belonging under your feet until you understand who God is and who you are in respect to God. When you finally understand that, then you will understand why you can rebuke the devil, even cast him out. See, when we fail to treat God like God and refuse to worship him now, the devil's the boogeyman and we're afraid of him everywhere we go because we don't know who he is and we don't know who he is and we don't know who we are in respect to him because we don't know who we are in respect to God and to who God is. If you do not know who you are in respect to who God is, you'll never know who you are in respect to who the devil is. If you never know who you are in relationship and respect to who God is, you'll never know who you are in respect to poverty, sickness, lack, and the list goes on and on and on. Many of God's people live in constant fear and anxiety because they do not know who they are in respect to who God is and therefore have no basis to know who they are in respect to the things that they are facing in life. So are you seeing why we're supposed to be living up here and we're living down here? What happened? See, it's very easy to say, well, sin happened, we broke God's commandments. No, no, see, all of that's a contributing factor, but that's not what the devil's after. The devil's after you trivializing yourself into silliness and confusion so there's neither sense nor direction left in your life. You you, where, where now all of a sudden we've, we've become such an educated and philosophical society that, that we can you know, have all of these uh, quote-unquote uh, intelligent discussions about what it really means to be female. Well, my three-year-old grandson can answer that question for you. Amen. Amen. So what does that have to do with all of us? Do not think that God's own people aren't immune to this. We are missing out on so much of what God has for us and what he wants to do in our lives. Again, because we are refusing to treat him the way he should be treated, refusing to worship him. Amen. 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 All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Can you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Mm-mm-mm. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. 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 I know sometimes we do a song on. Yeah, come on, John. If, yeah, if you if you'd like, I don't I don't put anybody on the spot, so. Yeah, come on, brother. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, man. I'm feeling a little awkward right now. Feeling a little awkward right now. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So watch this. So, but the, the answer for us is not to start judging people and marching in the streets, and, and making jokes, and, and complaining, and griping, and moaning. What's, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility as the people of God is to be the people on this earth who treat Him the way He should be treated and worship Him. It's not, a, it's not about, um, listen, 
we talked about this on Wednesday nights. We studied about not judging people. I have, I have, I, I know what it is to to struggle in in areas of my flesh, but there are other areas of my flesh that I don't know nothing about. I've never struggled in. I've, I've, I am not physically or sexually attracted to the male form. I am physically, sexually attracted to the female form. Very easy for me to scratch my head when a, a man is not attracted to the form of a woman and is attracted to the form of a man or vice versa. But, but listen to me, please. Listen, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to love. I'm here to help. So I, when I talk about these things, I'm not, I don't want you to think I'm up here throwing rocks at people. That's, that's not the point. I'm trying to show you what's the root of the problem. We, we, won't be, we won't be held accountable for what a mayor of a city does. We'll be held accountable for what we do. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. Praise God. Father, you see our hearts this morning as we stand before you, sir. Lord, the, the most devout among us can do better. Not that it's some contest, Father, but Lord, this is how we grow. We grow in learning more about your love and loving you more and loving others more and sacrificing ourselves and putting your interest in the interest of others ahead of ourselves. Lord, we're, we're growing up into Jesus in these things, Father, but we'll never, ever, ever make progress until we First, get it nailed down once and for all and never forget who you are and who we are in respect to you. And we thank you for helping us with that, Lord. And Father, current culture, pop culture, is not the culture of your kingdom. And we are not going to be conformed to this world, but we are being transformed through the renewing of our minds. Here a little, there a little, line upon line, line upon line. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right, let's, um, let's partake of communion together this morning. If you do not have communion emblems, there's some on the table. If you, if you joined us after we got started, feel free to slip right back there and grab them right now. We've got plenty. Amen. And we, um, we're going to partake together, so let's begin by... Um, Peeling back the top layer there and uh, and uh, removing the wafer. Amen. Amen. Um, no, uh, no yeast in the bread. It's because the yeast represented corruption. When you put leaven in dough, the leaven begins to react with the dough, release gases, and that's what makes the bread rise and gives it that taste. Amen. But Jesus' body, no, no leaven, no yeast, because it was no corruption, it, his was a sinless life. Amen. And so, Father, we take this piece of bread with no leaven that represents the sinless body and life of our Savior. And Lord, we lift it up to you and we say thank you, Jesus, for the life that you live, for the sacrifices that you made, for being willing to put on the line for us what you put on the line for us. 
and for the victory that you won and now have made available to every person who calls upon your name. Thank you for the light that you gave us some many years ago, some just here recently. Father, we, we begin to see some light and more light and more light and more light and your light and your Holy Spirit drew us to receiving for ourselves what Jesus did for us so many years ago. Father, we say thank you this morning and it's, it's with tremendous respect It's with tremendous honor for what this wafer represents that we partake of it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. Amen. Now, if you would, just be careful, but let's open up the cup. Now, I know some denominations practice... um, fermented wine or wine with some level of alcohol in it but again the yeast represents fermentation it represents corruption no corruption in the blood of Jesus no corruption in the blood of Jesus and so father we take this cup in our hands this this small small quantity of juice from a grape lord that represents the blood that Jesus shed for us so many years ago lord to the world this may seem so silly it, it, it may seem so traditional or so pious. But, Father, we don't do it out of tradition or piety, Lord. We do it out of obedience to our Master who asks us to do this and to do it often and as often as we partake of the cup and the bread to do it in remembrance of Him. And so, Jesus, we set our hearts and minds upon You now. We remember who You are. We remember what You've done for us. We remember who we are in relationship to you and what you've done for us and what your gift of, uh, of, of salvation uh, through the shedding of your own blood now means to our lives and, Lord, not just our futures but our eternity. Lord Jesus, you have started a work in us that you have promised to complete. And for that, we say thank you this morning. And so, Father, your word even speaks of those who, in acts of obedience to partaking of this meal, would receive healing into their physical bodies. And so any person that's listening to me right now, Father, I pray that as we obey you and, and we follow these instructions, that healing would be released into our physical bodies. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together. Uh, thank you, Lord. Amen. John Mark's going to lead us in worship before we're dismissed. Amen. Thank you, Father.